Hey, thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Pope apologizes for the Catholic Church's role in residential schools. The rising carbon tax means we're paying more for fuel. Dr. Isaac Bogosh joins us to talk about the sixth wave of COVID-19. Learn what the housing market is going to look like over the next five years. We're helping food banks on April Foods Day. Forge FC Captain Kyle Becker joins us to talk about the 2022 campaign. And the Paris to Ancaster bike race is back. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Pope Francis has apologized for the Roman Catholic Church's role in residential schools. For the deplorable conduct of these members of the Catholic Church. I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry, and I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking your pardon. Angela Belgard is an Indigenous resident working in reconciliation and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Angela, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks for having me, Rick. Always a pleasure. When you hear that audio clip, Pope Francis's long-awaited apology for the Church's role in Canada's residential schools, what's going through your mind? So many things, honestly, Rick. It's been a, a very interesting week, lots of complicated emotions, thinking about my family's experience with the Catholic Church. My father is the third-generation uh, survivor of a Catholic residential school, so it's it's been really um, a very difficult week in many senses. So today is absolutely fantastic to hear this. The week has been full of thinking about uh, people like Chief Phil Fontaine, who has uh, been working on an apology for, for many years, especially when he was chief of the AFN. Um, and so it was, it really, I feel so pleased for him and for all of the survivors who really needed the power of this apology. Is there a bit of a surrealness to this? Is it, is it a happy moment? Is there some sadness uh, as well? Absolutely. You know, the feelings are complex. I couldn't be more pleased for the residential school survivors, but, you know, it's, it's almost like what took so long. Um, you know, I remember our, our leaders, the late Jim Sinclair of Métis Nation, who uh, traveled four times to talk to uh, Pope uh, preceding John Paul II. What has taken so long? Our people have been um, damaged by trauma and intergenerational trauma for, you know, uh, his hundreds of years here. How big of a step is this in the reconciliation process? It's absolutely huge. This will go a long way in having all citizens, not just Indigenous people, really understand uh, what has happened and the abuse of so many children and what that means today and for the generations to come. Angela Belgarde is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Angela is an Indigenous resident working in reconciliation. The Pope also confirming today that he will be coming to Canada. The date has not yet been released. What do you want to see happen when he is here? Well, I mean, this is fantastic. One of the things that was going through my mind is it's about time. Um, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Come to our land. Um, you know, the Papal Bull was so... The Doctrine of Discovery ha- has been such a... Um, controversial thing, something we wanted banned for a long time. We have always been here. For him to come to our land, it recognizes that this is our land. We have never left. Despite everything that was said by the Pope today, does more need to be done? 
Absolutely. Reconciliation uh, is something that will take generations. Um, you know, I wish to see it happen in my lifetime, but I think this is a great start. And the Truth and Reconciliation Committee that uh, came final report of 2015 has really, uh, you know, we have the roadmap there. So all, Can- all Canadians uh, need to participate. This is not just for Indigenous people. Another positive step forward in the process. Angela, thank you for your time this morning. Always a pleasure, Rick. Thank you for having me. Angela Belgard, Indigenous residents working in reconciliation. And uh, as you can uh, tell, a range of emotions being felt by many Indigenous uh, people here in this uh, nation after the Pope issues an apology for the Roman Catholic Church's role in residential schools. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's ambitious and it's achievable. It's ambitious because it will get us to 40% lower emissions by 2030 compared to 2005 and keep us on track to net zero by 2050. It's achievable because it goes sector by sector, cutting emissions and creating opportunity across the country and the economy. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing Canada's new climate change plan earlier this week. Meantime, the carbon tax jumps today, and yes, it will impact your wallet. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Happy Friday. Dan McTagg is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy and is here to chat about the carbon tax and all things climate change. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm fine, uh, and I won't be visiting a gas pump today, Rick, because it's dropping Five cents tomorrow. So uh, if you don't like a dollar seventy three point nine at some of the stations here in Hamilton, uh, just hold off until tomorrow. That is great. By the way, happy Carbon Tax Increase Day. Yes, uh, happy April Fool's Carbon Tax Day. <laughs> Those who think it's a wonderful idea. Anyways, that wouldn't be me. And I think a lot of other people who uh, not only need to fuel up, but uh, have been noticing a little thing called uh, grocery prices uh, as a result. Yeah, I want to chat about the, the two. Well, there's there's many factors to this, but the carbon tax increase today. We're seeing a bit of a bump at the pumps. Long term, what is the impact? Well, the impact continues to be that uh, fuel prices remain about 40% higher than they were this time last year. And uh, there are attempts, obviously, to uh, to mitigate that. Um, the Biden administration uh, is seeking the, uh, you know, knowing that there's going to be an election uh, at midterms that could affect uh, the of the uh, of the election uh, or at least of the highest composition of the uh, of the of congress um released or planned to release uh, 180 million barrels from the strategic petroleum reserve which stands at about 530,000 uh, 530 million barrels bottom line is it's going to create a situation where you have short term gain and long term pain uh when you start fooling around with your reserves uh it has to be replaced and it sends a signal to those who are producing oil at a time in which demand is surging it's not worth it. Let uh, let the government uh, take this one on the chin. So what's going to happen is that we're going to get a bit of a relief, as we're seeing tomorrow and perhaps for the next week. But reality is going to start to set in uh, that there is just as enough oil production globally. And when you have prime ministers, presidents not reading the room, doubling down on their, uh, their climate goals, uh, as opposed to dealing with the energy crisis, uh, you have a very serious problem, which I think is going to start to pop up uh, in terms of uh, unaffordability for a lot of Canadians and uh, globally for a lot of uh, citizens. Dan, you also referenced food prices. What does the carbon tax increase play in that? Well, first of all, diesel prices went up three cents. So diesel is now 13 and a half cents a litre in terms of a carbon tax. And by the way, it doesn't end there. On December 1st, the same uh, federal Liberal government will uh, implement its second carbon tax, the so-called clean fuel standard, 
that'll add another five cents on the diesel side, four cents on the gasoline side, and that will go up every year over and above uh, the next uh, three or four or five years on carbon taxes, where we're going to see an increase in. Uh, it's, I mean, it's almost mind-boggling, probably of another 30, 28 to 30 cents a litre. What it means is that these prices make their way through the economy, and they continue to drive up the price of everything that we consume, um, and that includes most notably, and I use food because I think it's the one that no one can debate. There isn't a single person, that, uh, any of our listeners, uh, who would disagree that the food prices are getting extraordinarily high, and they're about to go much higher. There's a number of reasons for that, but make no mistake, when governments artificially raise the price of energy uh, for processing, the price for uh, fertilizer, uh, which comes through nitrogen and things like urea, all made from diesel and natural gas, uh, you can expect that there is going to be a consequence, a rollover consequence. The carbon tax uh, may be rebated, but it doesn't cover the secondary costs, uh, such as uh, higher food prices. So I think Canadians are starting to take, it's a take notice moment for a lot of Canadians because they're looking at this and saying, I'm not getting a 40% increase in my wage. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to have uh, me able to maintain my job if my economy, if our company continues to have to make cuts, etc. Um, so without getting too far down this, the carbon tax isn't just about hitting fuel prices, it is that it has a significant impact uh, and cascading rollover effect throughout the economy. Worse, because in this country we like to say we're going to cut pipelines and we don't think anything of them, your Canadian dollar is suffering. Uh, it's now 125 pennies to buy a U.S. dollar. That's driving up the price of everything, including gasoline. You're paying an extra 20 cents. Last time we saw $100 oil, the Canadian dollar traded at par with the U.S. greenback. No one's interested in investing in Canada, and it's for that reason that we have nothing to sell, even though we have plenty that the world wants, including our oil and gas. The problem here is that uh, it's likely to lead to an economic slowdown on a scale that we've never seen and hyperinflation. And I really want to emphasize that, uh, Rick. Inflation is uh, rearing its very ugly head. Even statisticians who've been around this business for a long time are very worried. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dan McTague, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, as we chat about the increased carbon tax as of today. Is there going to be a similar impact on the airline industry, and will we be paying more to fly? Yes. Uh, and in fact, jet fuel is uh, is going through the roof. Um, I calculate this as well. Um, you know, just, uh, just a month ago, uh, jet fuel, or at the beginning of the year, jet fuel was selling for about, uh, well, about $3 a gallon U.S. It's now pushing over $5.25, $5.25 a gallon. That's an increase of about uh, 35% in just a month. It means that uh, as the econ- world economy begins to slowly emerge from COVID, other parts of the world are not. China, for instance, being a good example, back into lockdowns. Um, once the world begins to really take up uh, and get back into uh, the swing of things, uh, pent-up demand has to be re- you know, uh, satisfied. Uh, we're going to see the airline industry, uh, the construction industry, the transport industry, tra- rail, uh, and other forms of, uh, of, of uh, modern uh, transportation take a severe hit, and that has to be passed on to consumers. Don't go too far from you know from what's happening globally. Uh, our own aggregate uh, drivers, the folks who you know take the gravel out of the pits and then bring them over to the cement companies to make our homes to, you know, to uh, to keep our economy rolling. Uh, they were paying a buck five for diesel last year. They're now paying two ten, two fifteen, two twenty. Those kind of increases cannot be absorbed easily. And so, the disruption for transportation is one thing. 
the effect it's going to have. And I don't think we've really felt what's about to hit us. It's going to get really bad this summer. Uh, we got about a minute to uh, yep. play around with this one. Uh, Canada's new climate change plan. Is any of the targets that we're wanting to hit achievable? No. And, and let's be realistic. Uh, we've gotten rid of coal. We've done a lot of things on the technology side, changed uh, to reduce methane by 20% in the past 15 years. That's a decrease of 1%. How are you going to do 42%? I mean, it's, it's the stuff of magic and make-believe. And it, uh, it's, it's, it's a dangerous signal for a government that should be more responsible. I understand the activist, uh, Stefan Guibault, doing his nonsense and uh, Trudeau just going along with the ride. But even Europeans are starting to throw in the towel and realize uh, this is too fast, too quickly. The technology is not there <clears throat> to replace that. Worse, if you don't get Canadian oil, clean Canadian oil, ethical Canadian oil into the markets, then you're going to rely on you know, Saudi Arabia, too busy chopping off heads. Uh, you're going to get Venezuela, Russia, and Iran uh, calling the shots. I don't think we want that kind of insecurity globally. By the way, next week, get ready for a 5.5 cent increase. We shift from winter to summer gasoline. Get ready for that one as well, Rick. The fun never ends. Dan, appreciate your thoughts on this. Always a pleasure. Take care, Rick. Dan McTague, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, Ontario reported 807 people in hospital with COVID-19 on Thursday. The first time since March 4th that that number has breached the 800 level and an increase of 29 compared to Wednesday. It's an increase of 146 as well from a week ago and uh, just north of 150 people in intensive care. So the trend has led some health experts to suggest that Ontario is indeed entering a sixth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Here to shine a light on it is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist. Dr. Bogosh, thanks for spending some time with us this morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on the show. You tweeted Thursday, quote, there are more COVID-related hospital admissions in Ontario now versus recent weeks. Despite models predicting a smaller wave, this will still disproportionately impact vulnerable individuals and populations. Does this sixth wave have you concerned? I mean, it just, it's yet another wave. And uh, I think you know, the vast majority of people who are fully vaccinated will do okay. You still might get this infection, but most people who are fully vaccinated will, you know, if they get this infection, you're not going to have, uh, it would be unusual to have more severe outcomes. But of course, we know that there's vulnerable people among us. There's uh, elderly individuals, people with compromised immune systems, and there's still a lot of COVID out there. And obviously we have to protect everyone, all Canadians, not just some Canadians. And, uh, and, you know, some people are at greater risk. So, you know, there's ways we can reduce this. We can vaccinate, we can wear masks, uh, we can have more uh, readily accessible therapeutics. Uh, this will all go a long way to protecting not just individuals, but, but populations, especially more vulnerable people among us. Many people pointing to the BA2 subvariant of Omicron for the rise in hospitalizations. Um, e- even with, uh, you know, 80% of the population double vaxxed, many more with, uh, or many of them uh, also with triple uh, vaccinations as well. Uh, what is this wave going to look like and, and can it be prevented or stunted? Well, yeah, great great way. I think it's smart that you delineate between the two. I, you know, this is one of those things where if you line up 20 experts, you're probably going to get 20 different answers. I think we're going to have a wave. I think, you know, you look at most places in the world, not everywhere, but most places in the world, a lot of European settings, a lot of uh, Asian settings, they're having a wave right now. Um, but, but again, you can blunt the impact of this wave with certain tools. 
and one of the easiest ones is, is putting on a mask. It's not perfect. Of course, we know masks aren't perfect, but they're helpful. They're helpful at an individual level. And they're also helpful at a population level. So I think things like that, you know, we can choose to wear masks. They're not mandated. But if, if most people are choosing to wear masks, it, it, I think it will go a long way. And, and to your other point, you know, we have significant community level protection, like so much more now than, for example, a year ago, because so many people have been vaccinated with two or even three doses. And also a lot of people have been infected and have recovered. And of course, some people have a combination of that vaccination and infection. And, you know, that goes a long way in protecting uh, the community. So most of the models for this wave look like it's not going to be as big, for example, as as prior waves. And, you know, that's obviously a good thing. But on the other hand, too, you know, you look at who is impacted by COVID. It's uh, there, there's certain communities that are disproportionately impacted and, and certain individuals that are disproportionately impacted. And, you know, sadly, even if it is a smaller wave, those are the same groups that are going to be disproportionately impacted on this. And, you know, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it's preventable with simple things like rolling out vaccines into at-risk communities, uh, wearing masks, getting therapeutics out, especially to populations that are at greater risk for hospitalizations as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist. We're talking about the impending sixth wave, which may already be underway. May this also mean that COVID won't be a winter-only virus, if you will, like influenza? Well, yeah, I mean, what's really interesting about that is influenza is primarily a winter virus, but of course it starts in the late, late fall, and there is a predictable uh, late winter, early spring bump in influenza. So there are, you know, seasonal respiratory viruses, but, you know, it's, it's hard to know. Obviously, we, we, I think COVID is, is certainly falling into that pattern of having some seasonal variation with predictable rises when people gather indoors. Uh, but on, on the other hand, too, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. And, you know, we're, we're working our way from pandemic to whatever we want to define endemic uh, as. I don't think we're at whatever we want to define endemic as being, but we're on, we're on, that, we're on that trajectory. Uh, and, you know, having a spring bump in viral respiratory infections isn't new. I mean, we, we see it every year with, with, uh, with influenza. This is a bit late for influenza, and, you know, COVID is not influenza, but it's not unusual to have a sort of a late winter, early spring bump in cases. Last one for you, and you only got about a minute or so. Has, uh, you know, the, the concern with rising uh, cases and hospitalizations certainly is the pressure it puts on the healthcare system. Have you guys gotten a breather at all over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't want to speak on everyone's behalf, but kind of yes in the sense that hospitals and ICUs have certainly been decompressed when you compare what we're seeing right now versus what we saw, you know, a a month and two months ago. I mean, remember, it's not just a matter of how many beds are filled, but it's also how many people are there working. And, oh, man, we were so short-staffed across the province, across the country, in the entire healthcare sector. It was really, really challenging. Uh, we don't want to go through anything like that ever again. So simple things like mask wearing, vaccination, uh, therapeutics, access to therapeutics, they, they go a long way in keeping people out of hospital and uh, and really keeping the healthcare sector intact. Dr. Bogosh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for spending it with us this morning. My pleasure. Have a great day. That is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Housing and affordable housing, still a very hot topic and an important topic to discuss. 
as we are doing so right now here on GMH. Remax Canada launching a new five-year housing market outlook. This is uh, some very interesting stuff included in this report. Here to talk about it is Christopher Alexander, the president of Remax Canada. Christopher, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Chapter one of this uh, new five-year housing market outlook examines the impact of things like taxation, uh, interest rates, immigration. What did you find? Well, what was very interesting, and and I have to thank our partners for this at CIBC, um, is just the overall narrative of the last, especially in the last six months, and I can totally appreciate why, the narrative is this way is was is very alarmist uh, considering what we've seen in price appreciation um, and our inventory challenges over the last couple of years and really the last 15 years uh, especially in southern Ontario uh, but really what we found is that we the, the market's in a really healthy place long term I mean there's caveats as well the it's really difficult to predict um, anything further than a year out, which is why we had a couple of partner agencies work with us on this report. But when you factor in things like immigration, interest rates, and taxation, really the fundamentals uh, and the outlook for the country looks uh, really solid uh, from the research that we did. We know that over the past three, let's say, three to five years, prices have grown substantially, you know, more than doubled in, in some cases, uh, including here in Hamilton, where prices have really skyrocketed. I'm sure that home buyers are happy to hear that there's a line item in this report that says the price growth may be less extreme than what we've seen during the pandemic. Well, it kind of has to be, Rick. I mean, that's the other thing that I'm glad you mentioned, because what I think is very important for the public to understand is that what we've seen in the last couple of years, the price appreciation is not normal. Like, yeah, we've seen it the odd time in the past, but you can't expect as a home buyer for your house to go up by 20% year over year and year after year. That's just extremely ambitious, call it. Uh, so I do think that we are going to see a softening. Um, you know, we did release a report last month around the 25-year history in the greater Toronto area and the greater Golden Horseshoe. And the average appreciation over a 25-year period was 7%, which is, you know, the best you can you can hope for. As soon as you get into 9, 10 plus percent, that's when, you know, people get nervous about, um, you know, how long is this going to last? Is it overinflated? But to see a 7% average over a 25-year period is really good evidence to show that we're actually in a really healthy position. Remax Canada President Christopher Alexander is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We are checking out their new five-year housing market outlook. Uh, chapter one has been released, and in that, uh, there's a, an examination of certain scenarios that could upset the apple cart. What could we possibly see upsetting this apple cart? Aggressive interest rate hikes. Um, and, you know, uh, overzealous taxation policies, I think, too. Um, I mean, it's no, no secret that we're, we're facing, facing some pretty significant inflation right now. Um, there's projections of, you know, half a basis point hike on, uh, or sorry, 50 basis point hike in April. Um, and I think if, if that continues at an aggressive rate, like if they continue to do 
big hikes on a consistent cadence, then uh, we could see you know a bigger pullback than we're we're forecasting. But economists and the banks are predicting inflation to calm down towards the end of this year. And if they're right, which we're all hopeful they are, um, I think we'll just see a, a really soft landing. And you know, it's funny the context of all this. You know, homes are selling. The average days on market is around three, three and a half weeks uh, nationally. And you know, if we get to forty-five days, I think that'll be a psychological adjustment for sellers. But that's still an extremely good market. Uh, especially when you consider you don't get into buyer's market territory until you've got more than uh, six months of inventory. So um, it would take a lot for us to see any substantial decreases. We only have about a minute to discuss this, but earlier this week, Ontario's housing minister introduced legislation to streamline the approval process to boost housing supply. Is is that going to be enough to solve the supply crisis? Uh, no, but... There's a lot of other measures that the provincial government is looking at. I mean, they're really focused on uh, removing a lot of red tape that developers face when when uh, they you know want to launch a new project. They're clamping down on aggressive builder practices, such as you know turning around and raising prices at a later date after people have made deposits. So there, there's a, a litany of of measures that the provincial task force is looking at, which I think coupled together will help boost supply. But the challenge we really face is we're 20 years late on starting a housing strategy in Canada. So uh, it's going to take a lot for us to catch up. Yeah, and that catch up uh, continues. Christopher, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me. That is Christopher Alexander, President, REMAX Canada. And uh, interesting report that we'll continue to follow along because there's other chapters that will be released throughout the year and we'll certainly bring them to you if the tidbits of info are of interest. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Oh, we're given today because today is April Foods Day and it's a day that we are encouraging all of you listening right now to donate to the cause to support Feed Ontario and here locally, Hamilton Food Share. So until Sunday, we're asking you to help support this cause by donating through text or online. You can text the word food to 45678 and donate 5 or $20. Or you can go online and make a donation by going to our website, 900CHML.com or globalnews.ca, and there will be a link to the donation page. So what is going to be used with all this money and who is it going to help? Let's ask our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML. Rachel Dixon is the Director of Development at Feed Ontario and joins us now. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. This initiative was launched back in 2016. What impact is it going to have on individuals, families, and children in need? Yeah, absolutely. Right now we're seeing more families than ever turning to food banks to help put food on the table. So every little bit of support helps. For every $1 we receive, we can provide the equivalent of three meals to someone facing hunger. So every little bit does make a difference and the support will go a long way. Last year, 592,000 Ontarians, many of them kids, uh, had to use a food bank. 
That's right. And over the last year, we saw one of the largest single-year increases in over a decade in the number of people accessing a food bank throughout Ontario. So it is quite staggering numbers. And on top of that, the number of times that each individual or each family accessed a food bank also grew to more than 3.6 million times. So we're seeing not only more people facing hunger, but also that the depth of poverty and hunger is growing as well. Is there a specific fundraising goal this year? There's no goal as such this year, but we definitely do recommend and ask everyone to join us as we feed Ontario. As I said, every $1 provides three meals and with such a big growth in the need at the moment, every little bit makes a huge difference. And our listeners can do so by texting the word food to 45678. You can donate 5 or $20, or you can go online and donate any amount you wish, 900chml.com, globalnews.ca, click on the April Foods Day icon and uh, donate to the initiative. How, how much money has been raised over the years? That's a great question. Um, I don't actually have the over the years date, but we're tracking well this year. And I know that every little bit does count. Also, our listeners should know they have until Sunday to do so because the initiative ends on that day. So there's still a few days left to give to the cause. When looking at food banks across this province, what food items are most in need? And, And I would guess that it probably differs from community to community. Yeah, it definitely differs from community to community. So I would recommend going to your local food bank's website or giving them a call before you donate items. But generally what we see is a lot of places are often looking for things like pasta, pasta sauce, cereals, food staples, and things like that. Also know that many food banks accept fresh food donations. Just call ahead before you bring any in to make sure that you're coming in on a day where they have space in their freezers or their fridges. Um, And the general rule when thinking about what foods to donate is threefold. So firstly, double check the expiry dates. We're not going to be giving out food that is expired. So make sure it's still within that best before date. Secondly, think about what you would be putting in the grocery cart for your own family. If you're not going to eat it, a family facing hunger probably won't either. So try and keep it similar to what you would eat yourself. And then thirdly, the last thing to think about is that people coming to food banks come from all different walks of life and have many different dietary requirements. And often those are some of the hardest and more expensive things to get. So if you can donate things for different dietary requirements, whether that be gluten-free, lactose-free, vegetarian, halal, kosher, any other kind of dietary requirement, that's also extremely helpful. Great tips from Rachel Dixon, Director of Development at Feed Ontario. Today is April Foods Day. The initiative runs until Sunday. And we're asking you to donate by texting the word food to 45678. You can donate 5 or $20 to the initiative. You can also go online to 900chml.com, globalnews.ca, and donate any amount by clicking on the April Foods Day icon. With food prices going up on, on average 5 to 7% for pretty much every item in every aisle, uh, this initiative comes at a great time. Absolutely. And we're seeing that general affordability issues, even things like housing affordability, really impacts whether people can put food on the table and whether they have to turn to a food bank. So now as we're seeing more increases in general affordability, it's definitely turning more and more people to new spaces and food banks for support. 
Rachel, awesome stuff. Uh, congrats with all that has been achieved so far, and good luck the rest of the way. We're happy to be uh, partnering with Feed Ontario and uh, Hamilton Food Share here locally with April Foods Day. Thanks for the time today. Thank you so much. That's Rachel Dixon, Director of Development at Feed Ontario. Again, you can text the word food to 45678, donate $5 or $20 to April Foods Day. You have until Sunday to do so. You can also go to 900chml.com or globalnews.ca. Click on the April Foods Day icon and donate any amount you are comfortable in doing so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900chml. Well, as Forge FC gets ready to begin its 2022 training camp today. Hamilton's professional soccer club has unveiled its new kit and it did so last night at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. I had the pleasure of going out there last night, checking out all the fun and festivities and had a chance to chat with um, captain of Forge FC, Kyle Becker. And uh, this is how it all went down. New kit. It looks fantastic. How does it feel? I think it's great. It's awesome. I love uh, the symbolism behind it. I love what it represents. Something that connects us to this great community, and uh, we're definitely excited to wear it. There's a special addition to this year's kit. That's the number two. What does that mean to you? I think it's everything. Obviously, we wish we had the, the two stars. Uh, I think the league owes us that one, but that's uh, those decisions are over my head. But no, it's uh, it's a sign of what we've built uh, in, our, in our early existence as a club. Um, it's a sign of what we're all about. We want to win championships. We want to compete every single year. We take a lot of pride in that. We've been in, uh, in all three finals to date, and this year's no different. Those are our goals, so we want to get back. We want to take back what's ours, and that's the, the motivation right now. The number two signifies two championships, obviously, in the CPL. Um, you won the first ever uh, CPL championship. You repeated again in 2020. It was a bit of a different year last year without fans, the difficulty, but you made it back to the final as well. What's the motivation knowing that you're coming off a championship loss this year? It's everything. Obviously, as I said, we want, we, we feel like that's ours. And, and obviously, that's it's something you can't just say. You have to go out and prove it. That's just our motivation right now. Um, we we want to get back. We want to be in those games that mean a lot. We, we want to be playing for trophies in front of our fantastic fans. It was obviously tough at the beginning of the year with the bubble, but right when we came out of it, although it was limited capacity, we know we had them. They were in full voice. And to be able to, uh, to come back this year and play in front of them and, and what it means to the community is going to be very special. Speaking of fans, we're at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. There's hundreds of fans here. Were you expecting that? Uh... I never dealt these guys since day one. It's been fantastic. Obviously, you never know when we're, this is kind of like the first thing we've been able to do coming out of the pandemic. So I didn't want to get my hopes up, but just like ever, they, they never disappoint us. And they're here. They've come out in the numbers and they've, they've come out in full voice and it's fantastic. Training camp begins Friday. What are you expecting? It's, uh, it's been big. It's been busy. Obviously, we've, we've been going, but we're excited to, to kind of put this behind us and start the season. So obviously uh it all it all kind of comes to a culmination next sunday in that first game everything we've been working for and we're excited to get this thing going it's been a crazy pretty crazy year for canadian soccer the women win gold in tokyo at the olympics the men are off to the world cup um cpl has been an amazing league in its first three three plus years what is the state of the game in this country do you think right now it's a great time to be, obviously, a Canadian soccer player. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of reasons for the success. I think it's a ton of hard work that's come into to culmination. Um, for those who have been in this game for a long time, 
we've been we've been preaching this for forever we have fantastic talent in this country obviously what the both the, the women and the men have done has been fantastic and we're, we're so proud of them and it's they they've kind of been that thing that's kind of pushed us all forward and to have the cpl around obviously with the success of this national team i think we have something in place for years to come and it's a uh, it's an exciting time i would love to be a young kid right now watching that uh watching that qualification game against jamaica the other day and just dreaming big do you watch say the world cup coming up in november do you watch it as a fan or do you watch it as a player uh as i don't know it's a tough one i think honestly as both because it's when you put on that canadian jersey it's there's so much pride that comes with it and these guys have done a fantastic job of representing what this country is all about they've gone about it with so much hard work they've supported each other they fought with each other and they they have that mentality of just kind of rolling your sleeves up and doing it obviously they have a a ton of talent in it which makes it a little bit more special and it's exciting to watch but i think they've really they've really grasped that canadian mentality and i think that's something it's very proud of so anytime we watch them i'm watching as a proud fan i'm a supporter i want these guys to do well i'm a firm believer that we're going to be able to to turn some heads when we go to the to this world cup and we're not just there to show up they've really captured the imagination of a country that's for sure back to your team what do you like about this team i know it's different obviously from past years what do you like about it I think it's important to have a lot of changeover at times. Obviously, we've had a, a fantastic three years, but I think with new faces in the room, it brings that added, uh, that healthy competition. I think you keep guys on their toes, and the pieces we've brought in bring a ton of talent. They're not just here to, to fill a space or, or to, to kind of go fill the boots of someone who's left. They're here to write their own legacy, and they have a ton of, as I said, a ton of talent they bring to the table, and I think it's good. It's, it's nice to shake it up. It brings a new perspective. It allows us to do different things that we haven't done in the past, so I think there's something we, uh, people will be looking looking forward to this year. Apart from all the success in the league, you played Champions League, Canadian Championship games, a lot of other games apart from just the CPL. How, is, how important is it to be fresh on game day knowing you got all these other games you got to play in? Yeah, I mean, this last year, as Christian Jack just said, when he was presenting us, we played, I think it was 40-something games in a hundred so odd days. It's crazy. It's, as a soccer player, it's kind of unheard of. I don't think that happened anywhere else in the world. So now to have a little bit more of normalcy in, in that preparation a week, it just allows us to get that proper recovery and then to work on a few more things that we would be, we would be doing in, uh, in training that might need to be fine-tuned in the previous game. Whereas last year, it was kind of just survive in advance. <laughs> there, was, there was no time to really dilly-dally this year, I think. What it brings you in a normal season is you get a lean on the entire roster and guys obviously get to come in and show themselves and they can be a little bit more patient they don't have to be rushing for that that next game that comes every two days so it uh it just brings a lot of normalcy but a lot of time for that we can we can prepare for for what's next we started with a kit we'll end with a kit do you recall this is a gorgeous kit do you recall a team that you played for putting on a kit thinking wow this is an ugly uniform <laughs> you don't have to name the team but has there been those instances uh Maybe it might it might just be, it might just be the color. I mean, I, I love what uh, what ours represents, so I don't want to speak too badly on those teams. But I think uh, I look great in, in orange and gray, and I hope to stay here for a long time wearing these colors. Appreciate the time. Good luck this year. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Forge FC captain Kyle Becker joining me last night at the Forge FC kit reveal event at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. As you can hear by all the music and uh, jumping around and hooting and uh, hollering in the background, it was a, a pretty fun time. A lot of kids there last night as well, which is great to see. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Paris to Ancaster bike race is back this year. Race day is April 24th. Tons of info online at parisancaster.com. And here to chat about it is the founder of the Paris to Ancaster bike race, John Thorpe. John, thanks for waking up with us this morning. How are you? 
Well, Greg, Rick, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You must be thrilled to be back. We are. Yeah, it's been a long two years for everybody, so it's great to have the event happening again. It was great to see Around the Bay happen last week. Absolutely. So what is, um, talk about all the work that's going into making this year's event not only happen, but happen successfully. Well, the, over the time, there's been a lot of work going into the things when you talk about the COVID protocols and that sort of thing. But I guess what we're most excited about this year is we have a new event. We have a 100-kilometer event this year, and we have a, a group. we're trying to expand the reach of the whole event to bring more people from further away to come to Hamilton to, uh, to participate. Um, we have the Global Cycling Network, which is an online cycling uh, forum that are coming to cover it. They'll be doing a video of the race. And so we extended the long course from 70 to 100 kilometers, and we're actually headed from Paris out to Oxford County and then through Cambridge and... Uh, Brant County, and then in finally to Dancaster. So why add the 100K race to the mix? Was there a need or a request or a, a groundswell of people saying, hey, we want to do even more of this grueling race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, over the years, yeah, we've had a lot of the, the elite riders saying, gee, it'd be nice if it were a bit longer. Hmm. As well, over the years, when we started out, we were a pretty unique event, but now there's quite a few. There's a whole genre of cycling called gravel racing, and it's mainly grown up Canada and the U.S., but really big in the States. And most of the typical gravel races, they take place on, as the name sounds, on gravel roads. And they're getting 100, somewhere at 200 kilometers long. So the trend has been to these long events. Um, and so to get more notice from that, uh, those participants, that's our field, we thought we'd put on the, the 100K event. It's a bit of a, this, the century is a bit of a mark for cycling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Why why are gravel races rising in popularity? What's the appeal? Well, I think it's a bunch of things. I think it's just fun. It's the main thing. So typical racing, like this year we have Ted King coming to our race. And Ted uh, raced pro for 10 years in Europe um, and retired and took up gravel racing. A lot of the pro racers, a lot of road racers, I think they're getting tired of all the rules and the structure of road racing. And so gravel is this new thing. Um, it isn't... Uh, it isn't anywhere near as formalized, so it's a little more relaxed. Um, from a typical, like a normal cyclist point of view, I think people like the idea of gravel because they're out in the country typically. Uh, you're away from traffic. Um, it's just a really pleasant, uh, the, the surroundings. I mean, the, the course that we have, Brant County, as you know, is spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, Oxford is incredible. Um, we go over the, the Silver Bridge out in Oxford, which is a... Uh, if, if you take a look at Google, it, it's kind of a cool old bridge that we go over. So it's just a real pleasant experience along with the ride. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is John Thorpe. He is the founder of the Paris to Ancaster bike race. Race day is April 24th. Is it sold out, John? Not yet, but it's getting pretty close. Yeah, we close registration in, um, it's two weeks from from this weekend so there's still a chance to get in some of the are sold out the uh, 45k is completely sold out we have room in the 20k for families uh, beginner riders that sort of thing uh, and we still have a few spots left in both the 70 and the 100 and this is very you mentioned the around the bay road race earlier on in the conversation this is very much similar to the event where yeah. you have so many different levels of uh, biking skills if you will uh, from the elite racers to the to the families it's really fun for everyone yeah that's true it is we've we've um we model a lot of the stuff we do on around the bay um and it it's similar in a way you just add a bike instead of running so uh, uh the nice thing about that is if you stop paddling you you keep going which is better than when you're running um 
but uh, around the Bay is such a great event. And I guess the thing we really have in common too, and you saw it really this year is the weather's a huge factor. Yeah. So I don't know if you were out, but I was out this year at the start around the Bay and man, it was incredible. It was nasty. It was, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't see a lot of unhappy people. The only unhappy person I saw was a woman who had a sign saying she'd trained this hard to come and, uh, and cheer the, at the start. And I said to her, what is this about? And she'd injured herself a couple of weeks before the race, but oh, she'd wow. been training to run it. Yeah. So she's terribly disappointed, but, but still got up to come to the start on that day. Well, that's, that's amazing. Hopefully she can yeah. uh, race in the event next year. The, the one, I mean, there's a few differences, but what the one main difference between the around the Bay and the Paris Ancaster bike race is that, you know, par for the bikes and, and the non-bikes is um, the bike race happens on different terrains. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, that's right. It's um. I mentioned gravel racing and gravel racing is typically on mainly gravel roads. So we're, that's sort of the core of our event. Um, in this area, you can't always be on gravel. You, you hit some pavement. So we have some hard surface. We also throw in a bit of a twist because we use some trails. We use a lot of the rail trail. We use about 20 different private landowners. Um, so these would be farm tracks, uh, driveways. Uh, and we have a couple of uh, dead end road allowances that are reasonably famous mineral Springs and Paraline road. The Powerland Road mudslide is a, a, a pretty unique feature for our event. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, is the uh, expo still a go? We have a very limited expo. We've kept it uh, limited to sponsors. Okay. Uh, so, yes, it is. Um, that's our registration kit pack, kit pickup well, and it, it, you know, trying to balance all the different things but with covid we've we've tried to schedule it we're going to be sending out an email to people asking them to come during a certain time of the day so we rather than have a rush of people at one time yeah. we have them spread out throughout the day so people are able to come in we got some great brands at the expo um the gcn guys will be there as well so it'll be a chance to you'll have a little bit of time to pass through and and talk to people. Speaking of time, we only have a minute to discuss this, but I don't want to ignore the fundraising component of the Paris to Ancaster bike race as Definitely. the St. Joe's Healthcare Foundation is back on board again. Yep. St. Joe's has been our partner for more than five years. And I think, you know, you got to add two years to everything. So maybe it's seven years, but <laughs> uh, it's, um, they've been a fantastic partner over the years. Um, and I, I think we've raised a fair bit of money for them over the year. I'm not sure the latest amount. I think it was around 400000 wow. But um, they've been a great bunch to work with. And there's still time to sign up as a fundraiser for St. Joe's. So if you would like to help out that cause, you can go to our website and we'll work it all out for you. Our website is parisancaster.com. John, appreciate the time. Good luck with the event uh, later on this month. Thanks for having me, Rick. That's Talk John. To you later. You t yeah, have a good one. John yep. Thorpe, founder Bye -bye. of the Paris to Ancaster Bike Race. Race day is April 24th. Again, you can register, you can volunteer, you can uh, become a, um, a donor to the St. Joe's Healthcare Foundation through a sponsorship, parisancaster.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.